Father in heaven, thank you for the mercy you have shown us this morning. Thank you for the grace that you pour out upon us and that you have invited us here this morning for the opportunity to be with fellow believers, to have your word open, and, uh, and for our lives to be eternally touched by your spirit. So Lord, we ask for those things to happen now because that's what you have promised in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, what I'd like to do to begin with is just open the second Peter, and I'm going to read the second chapter, and then, uh, and then we'll explore. Second Peter? Uh, did I say second Peter? First <laughs> Peter. There you go. Second chapter. Second chapter. Good. Thanks for clarification. No, that's fine. Feel free to do that. You get a special dispensation. Well, thank you, Steve. <laughs> uh, at this, today I'm blaming it on cold medicine. I don't know what I'll use the other weeks, but today it's cold medicine. So from 1 Peter chapter 2. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babes crave spiritual... Okay. So you've got to sit in the angled chairs. Yeah, I'm watching it. <laughs> 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 right on. Thanks, sir. Great to see you guys. All right. So, First Peter, chapter two. Verse 1, Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babes, crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to Him, the living stone, rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious to Him, you also, live, you also like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house. To be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious, but to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone, and a stone that causes men to stumble, and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So I'll stop there, and uh, we'll just see how far we, we make it as we process through these pages and these words of Peter. So, um, emphasizing again, and, and partly I'm sure this is just for my benefit, uh, especially since Aaron and I are going back and forth every week, that uh, it seems important to me to reiterate that Peter is addressing our perspective in many ways. And we spent that first time talking about what shaped Peter's perspective, uh, his life, and those years he walked with Jesus and the experiences. But even before, you know, as we were waiting for class to start, uh, we were having a brief discussion about what you talked about last week and the Christians in Egypt and, and persecution in different places on this globe that Christians face. And how really in one sense it's 
I mean, what, what kind of persecution do we really face as believers? We've got places right up here for you, Ross. No, <laughs> what, uh, what kind of persecution do we experience? Anybody? Ours is usually more just being um, criticized or ridiculed or made fun of or shunned. Personally shunned. or? or In general. In, In general. general. In yeah. general. I mean, personally, some people will criticize your faith, but, right, but I mean, now, nowadays, it, it's so much different from, you know, I don't consider myself that old, but the difference that I experienced as a child being called a Christian to being an adult and saying I'm a Christian, you just get a lot more ridicule. And now you do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And some of it, it, like you said, just kind of more general, even kind of more culturally. Mm-hmm. You know, and Sometimes it's, it can be job loss and things like that, but most of the time in rare. our country it's not Right. I mean, and we, we were actually thanking God for the, the freedom that we still experience as believers in this country, being able to gather together in this place, um, not only on Sundays, but I mean, this, is, this place is happening every day of the week, right? But especially on Sundays as we celebrate again the resurrection of our Lord and the gifts He gives to us in worship. And yet we know that around this globe there are people our fellow brothers and sisters in, in Jesus Christ, who their life could be extinguished at any time because of their faith. And so, you know, and that's again who Peter is writing to. He's writing to people who are experiencing some significant and intense types of persecution. And so again, in our conversation before class, it was, you know, we can't try and pretend, right? That would be silly to try and pretend that we're persecuted and therefore understand maybe what Peter's talking about. But I think even in this, what Peter is going to tell us, regardless of what we might face as far as persecution goes or not, he's saying, how do you see yourself as a child of God? We're not persecuted, but I was just going to say the one thing that just popped in my mind over there is personal persecution, the accuser of the brother. How many times in your heart you want to do something and Satan will say, well, you're not worthy, or you don't have the resources, or what will they think? I mean, you're challenged all the time. If you're making a spiritual advance and you're going to do something for the kingdom, you know, you know, what difference would it make? Or, you know, uh, it's amazing how many times you're trying to get your head right of what am I really doing and why is that? I really uh, appreciate the Lord coming alongside with other people and saying, well, it makes a big difference. You took the time to make an endeavor to move in that direction. But well, and, and Steve, I think you pose a really important question for us. What difference will it make? Yeah. Right? Is it worth it? Is it really important? If, if you know, these things that Peter's going to talk about, I'm, I'm, I am going to imagine and understand based on the context of the Scripture that as the persecuted Christians of if Peter's day received this letter, it was life-giving and probably life-challenging. And, and so, you know, really gave them truth and gave them peace and offered them God's grace but also challenged them because even we talked before I mean he says gird up your loins right roll up your sleeves and get to work okay you're persecuted get to work I mean that's Mm -hmm. what what that's a perspective that Peter is sharing with the people of his day but what you say Steve is what voices am I going to listen to am I going to listen to a voice that says it doesn't really matter it's not that important what, you're, what you can offer isn't that much anyway. It's too hard. It's too hard. It's inconvenient. You know, you've got 
better things to do, other things to do, you're too tired, too stressed, whatever it might be, and it's not going to matter anyway. It's not going to affect anybody's life. So don't. Just go along day to day. I mean, that's the temptation I think that Satan, you know, sometimes apathy is, is the greatest tool of the devil. That's a big one. Yeah. I was going to say one thing that I, I, I thought was interesting over there, like in Daniel over there, they, they uh, going into the lion's den or bowing before the idol over there and being thrown in the burning furnace. He says, this is, it was challenged to me over there for, through another individual. He says, do you think there's enough evidence to prove that I'm a Christian? And I'm, I'm just applying that to myself. I go, I'm not, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. You know, I know it, 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 in the word the power of what he promises, but I'm just saying if, if it really came to a, a 1040 window, and someone's laying their life down for the witness of Christ. I'm thinking, you know, what do you want? No, they could used to even say, "Oh, you're yeah, free to yeah, go." Yeah. <laughs> no evidence against you. Is exactly. that what you're saying? Yeah. You, you know, I, I just going, Lord, forgive me. I'm, you know, help me to be a, a statement where there people you could see some light there. Mm -hmm. For sure, for sure. And that brings us back to verses one and two of, of chapter two. Therefore, rid yourselves. Both Peter and Paul talk about this idea of um, dehabilitation. So we have habits that we need to get rid of. And then also rehabilitation. So what are we going to replace it with? And the two go together. And both the Apostle Paul and Peter here always link them together. I think always. I think I can say safely always. Um, but it, it seems like, so for example, Paul would say things like this. He'd say put off and put on. And it's a, you know, a reference to our baptism, putting off the old self, putting on the new self, putting off the deeds of righteousness. That's what God does for us in baptism and then clothes us in Christ's righteousness. And then Paul goes on and says, so this becomes our life. Our life is a, a pattern of dehabilitation, rehabilitation. Here you saw Peter said, rid yourselves. Right? So that's the dehabilitation, that's getting rid of old habits. And he lists several of them examples. Malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander of every kind. And then he says, like newborn babes, which is a growth, right? It's new things. So this is, I think, a key ingredient for all of us as believers to have this on our mind. And it's a gift to us, again, that is based on our baptism of putting off and putting on. Ridding, getting rid of, and adding to and growth. Peter's going to continue to emphasize this shortly when he says, and so to your faith, we're going to add all these other things as well. Now, I think for Christians, we fall into one or the other sometimes and not both. We look at things, well, I should probably get that rid of that. You know, I should get that out of my life, whatever it might be. Some word that we, you know, some way of speaking, some way of acting, some way of thinking, some way of believing. I mean, we all struggle with those things, right? Am I the only one? No, no. no okay. Trust me, you're safe. <laughs> and so there are things in our lives that need to be gone. I don't know how else to say that stronger. I mean, Peter is saying they need to be gotten rid of. And then, growth. Something replaces it. Rather than just saying, well, I'm going to get rid of that, Jesus talked about it this way. He says, so if you cast a demon out of somebody and you sweep it clean, right? but you don't replace it? Well, that demon now comes back around and says, oh, what a nice place. It's empty. And invites his friends. 
I mean, that's exactly kind of how Jesus says it. And so it's always this idea of remove and replace. Jesus says it all himself multiple times. He's come to set us free from sin and replace it with works of righteousness. And so ridding and replacing. And, but that's, I mean, that's a lot of change. It's just a lot of change. And change itself. Well, you tell me. What do you think about the idea of change? Just the idea of it. It's Not any specific changes. It's hard. It is really hard. For what reasons is it hard? It's become a habit. Yeah, I mean, that's the, it's just what we do. I don't even think about it anymore. <laughs> what was that? Get out of your comfort. To make change, yeah, to make those changes really is uncomfortable, and it means we have to leave something that was comfortable. You have to think about it. And it's just like one more thing you have to do. More, yeah, that intentionality <laughs> thing. It causes stress. <laughs> Sometimes change. Absolutely, it causes stress. I wonder if you can even change up the power of the Holy Spirit to even bring it to your light. Like it says, I'm, I'm laughing. It says, therefore, laying aside all malice, deceit, hypocrisy, uh, envy, and all evil speak. I'm wondering, how do we have a government anymore? I'm watching the TV, and I'm, I'm just going, I, I'm dizzy from all the goofiness. And I'm just, I'm just going, we're in trouble. Yeah. We're, we're no, that's Steve, you bring up a really important point. So we can, you know, with intentionality and effort, we can make some changes. I can change some of my habits. It's not easy, but even all the, you know, I mean, the you know, motivational and self-help books, they say anything you do for 90 days becomes a new habit. And, and so we can make those kind of habitual changes in some ways. But what you bring up for us, Steve, is there are some things that only will change by the grace and work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So then our issue becomes, I think, when we talk about change and the awkwardness of it, and I think I'm out of handouts. Okay. Sorry about that. Okay. Um, I don't use them. I mean, everybody's willing to give up their handouts. I mean, I, I'm sorry. <laughs> so, either that means you are all the kindest, nicest people in the world, or we don't need them, and I'm going to save paper. <laughs> no, that's awesome. That's awesome. Um, where was I? Change, right? So. If God is making changes in us, what is our... And because it becomes uncomfortable. It's challenging. It points out to us that we're looking in a mirror and we see in the mirror ourselves with envy, slander, malice, and the list can go on. And so we avoid those things. I don't want to look at that. We avoid that. And therefore, we resist the work of the Holy Spirit changing us. So, see, change gets a little bit complex and for, the, for the believer. Well, just like you were saying, we don't exist in a vacuum. So, by removing something, if we don't um, deliberately, intentionally allow the Holy Spirit to fill that, or the things of God to fill that void, other stuff will just automatically fill it. Oh, yeah. And so... We could, so then sometimes we trade one... Well, I was just going to say, we could get rid of one bad thing, mm. leave that hole, and something worse actually... Is and that's what Jesus is, is alluding to as well. <coughs> the other thing that you bring up for us, Teresa, is... So let me ask it this way. When is a liar no longer a liar? When he stops. When he stops lying. No. Okay. When he's in heaven. <laughs> <laughs> when he's not. <laughs> he's a believer in Christ. Is he a Yeah. Well, let me ask it this way. When is a thief not a thief? Wait, what was that? When he repents. Repents? When he quits being a thief. Okay, when he stops stealing? He stops. Mm -hmm. Okay. 
those are great. Those are the, the questions, I mean, the answers that I was looking for and expecting. But here's what Peter is telling us. A liar is no longer a liar when they stop lying and tell the truth. A thief is no longer a thief when they stop stealing and they work and share. And that's repentance. That's, what I, that's why I was waiting to hear how you were going to go with that, Brett. Because that's what both Peter, Paul, Jesus, it's when it has been rid of and replaced. So I don't know, maybe, does that make sense? Mm -hmm. yeah. Otherwise, I'm a liar who just isn't actively lying. Right, so you think about it as like a, well, like he was saying, politicians. If they just stop doing what they're doing, you're wondering, well, are you going to do anything good or right. is there going to be a change? Exactly, Janetta. And we could go on and place that with anything, right? Mm -hmm. So when am I not a dishonoring husband? When I stop dishonoring? No, when I honor my wife. That's, that's when that change truly happens. It's when you give up chocolate, start eating celery. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure what that makes you. I think that makes you nuts. <laughs> No. <laughs> <laughs> Pastor, what about degrees? You know, you said lying, stop lying over there. What about when you come to the place of you have information, but you dose it out? You're not lying, but you're not you're not giving all the information. So now we have degrees of. Uh, I don't. Know, it could be deception. But it could, <laughs> I have a master's. In, yeah, yeah. I'm it, just saying. It, sometimes it, you could give information to someone, and they could turn around and use it to uh, abuse you. So you're having to decide. I'm just saying it's a, it's a, it's a more difficult question than it looks like. I'm not saying to be. Dishonest. No, you're right, Steve. You're right, and so that's something that gets fleshed out. To be frank, I mean, in our conversation here, I think what I'm oh, hoping absolutely. to, you know, based on what Peter's saying, is this is. When you've gotten rid of, and now mm -hmm. like a newborn babe, are growing right. and eager for, I mean, a, a newborn baby is eager for milk. And when they're healthy, they grow. And that's just, so he's really make, trying to make a transition statement from, you're getting rid of all these things that are about death. Amen. And <coughs> slander, pride, those kinds of things. And now, engaging in life, but so there's this really a huge transition taking place mm -hmm. there. And that's my example was just to kind of help us right. illustrate and kind of ponder that for a minute that says, so again, just stopping something doesn't mean I've changed. Right. Well, I think, too, that's the, like, the great myth of, of Christianity to me is that um, somehow you'll achieve it. Right. <laughs> and so I mean, the, that's false teaching. Yeah, oh, absolutely. It, it's continuous. And absolutely. so any time I see the idea of, like, babies craving milk is, um, is it Paul who, who says, like, come on, like, grow up and eat real food now. That there's, there's this growth process that is continuous that, um, you know, if, if Travis was a liar and he stopped lying, I'd say, yay, great job, mm -hmm. you know, even if he never but told the truth. But you'd look from the start telling the truth, would yes, you Yes, and you, but you would hope that you would, there would be a continuance on that mm -hmm. instead of just, good job not lying anymore. Right. I mean, and, uh, you know, we say that with our kids, you know, we have one who's a liar that we're like, it's good when you don't lie, but it's also like, it's one step more when you tell the truth, and so... And, and so, Megan, thank you so much. Because, again, as you're talking, it reminds me of several things that both Jesus, Peter, and Paul all emphasize. And they are all written 
in the idea of ongoing, mm -hmm. as I think you're pointing out. Mm -hmm. And so, for example, again, Paul says, putting off, con continually putting off and putting on. Just like every morning, I take off my pajamas and I put on my clothes for the day. I mean, that's really what Paul is the idea. And so, again, Peter is saying, ridding, getting rid of, and growing like a baby. Mm -hmm. I mean, what better picture? Because the baby's going to continually come after the, you know, want the milk, the source of well, life, and, and I, have growth. I think that it goes back to your very first question of, are we persecuted? I think a lot of times what we're feeling as persecuted grown-ups is that you said it. When you were a kid, it was different than when you were a grown-up, mm -hmm. is that we didn't grow up. And mm. people see that and are confused by it. That, you know, that if you're continuing on this path, we're, we're looking at you and wanting to see that you're ever, ever changing. Mm -hmm. But what you're saying like, is that's not always the is case. Is that we're not, not we're, we're our own worst enemies with mm -hmm. that, in that we think, well, I accepted Jesus when I was a little kid and, and I'm good now. And I, I've continued to tell people I'm a Christian. But they haven't seen, and he says it, you know, live, live your lives as strangers here. It's hard. I, I mean, that idea of change is, it makes me think of my brother. He lives in L.A., and he comes out here to visit, and he has completely different habits here. He's like, oh, the woods, and oh, you guys wake up early. I sleep late, and I, there's a nightlife. You guys go to bed at 8. Like, everything about his life in here is so different, and he always goes back to L.A. with these high hopes of continuing his habits. But they and, don't. And he can't because it's familiar to him, you know. And, and I think that's a lot how we are is I have high hopes of changing things, but I don't actually live as a stranger to my environment. And, and that's a perspective that Peter wants us to have, as you pointed out, strangers here. But also that environment that you talked about, the community of faith, I mean, who we spend time with is going to huge impact on what happens to us as far as our own putting off, putting on, ridding, and growing, and those kinds of things. Mm -hmm. Well, in the putting off, <coughs> Peter says, roll up your sleeves. Paul says, put on your spiritual armor. Neither one of them tell you to put on your slippers on your robe. You know, that's, it's, it's a battle, and it's a daily battle. And it's so work. we're not told, right, it's work. So never once are we told, okay, you've arrived. And now it's, you know, sit on the couch, here's your recliner, mm -hmm. and this is what you do until heaven. Mm -hmm. And it's always a, it's an ongoing, it's a discipleship process, and it's a battle. Well, and, and I'm so glad you brought that up, Teresa, because what you and Megan have said together, I, I need to emphasize this point, I think, strongly, is that we can, in our, as he says, put off hypocrisy. Our gathering together here on Sunday mornings, I bet you show us what you want us to see on Sunday morning. Can I be that bold? Only the best part. Only the best part. Right? And that's what Peter's addressing as part of hypocrisy. or not going up, as you've pointed out. And so when you know when we talk about the community of faith and strangers in this, you know, even now the temptation, I can feel the temptation is to say, okay, Peter is writing this to me, so now I need to go out and try harder and work more and do this, you know, again, it's the Holy Spirit. Amen. The Holy Spirit working in us. But in the community of faith, then how do I help my brothers and sisters who I love so very much in their process of putting off and putting on and ridding themselves and growing like newborn babes? This is not about me. This is about us and the community of faith. 
And it would be really easy for me to say, well, I'm just going to, I'm going to lie less and tell the truth more, or I'm going to criticize less and encourage more, or I'm going to do this and less and do that more. But it's, how do we do that together? Because even those things require relationship. As you talk about relationship, the thing like lying or evil speaking or hypocrisy, the thing it is, is uh, one of the big things I, I've noticed here at Grace is trust. You have to be able to try. If you're a liar or a hypocrisy or a ripoff, you're a goofball, whatever it is, and people can't trust you, you're under, you know, they, they know your character, you know, it just seems to me that you're breaking family. They can't, you can't come into the family because basically you're untrustworthy. I mean, I can't believe you, I can't trust you, I can't give you responsibility. And so those things are the, just the antithesis of uh, a family. Well, right, Steve, and trust is, is paramount. Well, if you yeah. don't have that, you don't have anything. Right. Right. So, having you said that, Steve, I want to give you just three things that Peter is operating with here that I think are kind of foundational for us to keep in mind. One is he's operating on a presupposition. And Megan pointed this out for us already, but the presupposition is that we have a position and an identity in Jesus Christ. I mean, that's what, when he's talking about us being strangers here, it's because of our identity and position in Jesus Christ. For someone who is not in Christ, this is their home. Once we're in Christ, we have a new home and a new identity and a new position. But Peter is operating on that. He even says that. In Christ, this is who we are. If you aren't a believer, then that's something else. And then also, he operates within a framework. And when he talks about babies craving for milk and growing, I think the framework is that we should have an intense interest in the Word of God. The believer in Jesus Christ will have an intense interest in the Word of God. That's why Peter can use this framework, this, this illustration of a baby craving milk. As he just says, babies naturally crave milk. Believers in Jesus Christ naturally crave His Word. Amen. Naturally crave that life of faith. And then the last thing is he operates on a truth, and this is what you reminded us of, Steve, is that, one, that the Lord is good. He says, you have tasted that the Lord is good. So trust Him. It's about trust. You have tasted that the Lord is good. You have received His mercy, His grace. You have experienced His love in many ways, repeatedly. And so trust that He is good. And whatever He is doing in your life, Though it be uncomfortable, though it be challenging, though it be ridding of one thing and adding another, the Lord is good. And so trust. Amen. Trust Him. You know, I had a friend this last week that I was talking with, and they're going through a little bit of a hard time and things, but she was sitting there saying, you know, I'm here thinking, God, are you testing me? Why are you putting me through this test and things of my faith? And then she's like, you know what, I have to step back and realize, you know, God is good. He is trying to do good things for me. He's like, she goes, the people want to blame God, but it really is the devil really trying to work hard and trying to move me away from God mm -hmm. and stuff. And I have to remember that, not to put blame on God when he's trying to do good for me <clears throat> and stuff. That's an awesome reminder, Jess. Because again, and I say this, I say this often, when we encounter, just being in this world, it's a broken world will experience hardship and trials and suffering and stress. I mean, just, so that's everybody. Believer, unbeliever, it doesn't matter. Everybody. And then on top of that, we're broken. And so many of the things I experience in my life, 
suffering and hardship, I can say, yeah, that was me. I did that, and the consequences, I can connect the consequences with my choices. On top of that, you're all broken. Amen. Please don't take any offense. No, so, <laughs> you're, you're all broken, and so, you know, just as much as I'm going to sin against you, you'll sin against me because we're broken and in these relationships. And then on top of that, Satan is out, I mean, he is a lion seeking whom he may devour. And then again, Jesus sometimes says we're disciplined because he loves us. And Megan, you brought this up from Hebrews, you know, that we are to, as God's children, receive his discipline. But even then, he says, flee one thing and pursue another. I mean, it is riddled through the scriptures of this idea of leaving one thing behind and, and cherishing and clinging to something new. Mm -hmm. um, but all those five reasons, right? So that's why I think James says, when you encounter trials of various kinds, first consider it joy that you have a God who is good and loves you. And then ask him for wisdom. It's hard to know. Uh, why am I in these, and bottom line is he's good. And he will, in his compassion and grace and mercy, he's going to be there right walking through this with me. So never leave me or forsake me. Which brings us actually to these next verses that we read about. Now Peter seems to make this transition, right, about living stones and things of that nature. So what is, what is Peter getting at? I think he's, he's saying, I'm going to say a couple of words and expect you guys to fill in all the blanks because of a rich understanding of the Old Testament. So that's what we need to do, is right? We need to say, well, what is Peter referring to when he starts talking about a spiritual house? So as you come to him, the living stone, rejected by men but chosen by God and precious to him. I mean, Peter's writing about Jesus Christ and says Jesus Christ is precious to God, the Father. Even in these brief moments, he says, there's a relationship there that we must remember. That God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit love each other. That they, God the Father says about His Son Jesus, You are precious to me. Just like in Jesus' baptism. This is my Son with whom I, whom I love and with whom I am well pleased. So he goes on and he says, right, that uh, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. And every Jew in the day says, Oh, he's talking about the temple. Every Jew who read those words that Peter says, oh, he's talking about the temple in Jerusalem. And what happened? What took place in the temple in Jerusalem? It was torn down. Well, I know, but what was it supposed to be? Oh, the <laughs> presence of God. Uh, the presence, presence of God. Right there, yes. Yeah. People went to the temple in Jerusalem to go into the presence of God. And then you had all the Holy of Holies and that whole thing and the, and the curtain that Jesus Christ, when he was crucified, it was torn in two. So that curtain is an amazing feat. I don't know if you, you know, Josephus wrote about it as a historian. That curtain <coughs> was, some people understand that it was four inches thick woven fiber. Mm -hmm. Four inches thick. Yeah, exactly. And it was, what was it, um, 60 feet long and 12 feet high, I think is what it was. I mean, this is, a, this is an enormous thing. I think I was reading in the, uh, one of the things that says 12 yoke of oxen couldn't pull it apart. Right. I mean, and, but God opened it to the presence of his own presence, right? Amen. Through the death of, of Jesus Christ and the Savior. So what's Peter saying? He's like, there's this temple. And even Jesus, right? He comes in. What, what was one of the times he was really angry? 
he enters the temple and, temple and he says, you have turned into a den of thieves instead of a place of prayer where people will be in the presence of God. That was a big deal to Jesus, right? Mm-hmm. Being able to come into the presence of God. And so you have the temple, which was made by men. Jesus even says, all these things are going to be torn down. This temple was built by human hands. It was in one location. You had to go to Jerusalem. It was restricted access. Only the priests could go into that Holy of Holies at one time a year, offer the right sacrifices. And blood sacrifice was, I mean, that's what was happening at the temple all the time, were blood sacrifices. But now Peter says, we've got a new house. Jesus Christ is the cornerstone of this new and it's made up of you. You are the living stones in this new temple. And it is built not by human hands, but by the Holy Spirit, built by God. And so you have God's presence with us always, everywhere. And everyone who trusts has access to the Almighty God through Jesus Christ. And so Peter is saying, I mean, this is monumental. What once was restricted has now been open. What once was, you had to bring the blood sacrifices, now Jesus Christ has offered His blood on behalf of all. And this is not us working to build some place, but it is God who is building His spiritual temple and He resides with us and in us. I don't know, I mean... I fear that sometimes my feeble mind just can't get it wrapped around that thing. That what Peter is saying kind of gets lost on me anyway, the magnitude of it. And so I find myself trying to emphasize it more, maybe for my benefit more than yours. But it's uh, what, what God has done in saying, now I've laid a cornerstone that the whole thing is built on Jesus Christ. Amen. Right? The whole thing is built on Jesus Christ. When Jesus is speaking with Peter after Peter's confession that he is the Messiah and says, upon this rock I will build my church, many times that has been interpreted to think, well, it must be Peter. He's going to build the church on Peter. Well, that would be ridiculous, right? Build a church on a fallen dude like... (laughs) And and, and I find it so enlightening that Peter, who supposedly was part of that conversation, is one saying, it's not built on me, it's built on Jesus and faith in him. That's the rock that Jesus was talking about. Amen. That He is the cornerstone that the builders rejected. And it's faith in Him that is what, how He builds His church. How He builds this living temple that He now resides in. And so for some, Jesus is a stumbling block. And for others, I mean, He's the, he's the cornerstone. It just goes back to people have this feeling that they have to see it to believe it. In it, like, and stuff. So it's really hard for people to get this concept of a living, eternal God that they can't put into a box and have a building and say, "This is where you can find Buddha. This is where you can find." You know, they have a hard time with that concept. Sure. Yeah. It's ironic, isn't it, Jess? Because we talk about um, spirituality. And, you know, and the ambiguity of spirituality all the time. It's everywhere. It's, it's in the news. It's in shows. It's in books. It's in self-help. It's in mag. It's everywhere. This idea, but like you pointed out, on the other hand, we're kind of schizophrenic in that. And that no, but I got to be able to see it and touch it and examine it and make it. It has to make sense to me. 
don't don't you find that uh, as I, as I'm getting older, it's more and more precious. Uh, the things I understood and, and believed when I was a kid. Now that I've been walking forty or more years in it, the more I know, I don't know. I, I haven't even scratched it. It's a, it's, you know, I didn't see the other five thousand facets to the thing over there, and I feel like a newborn babe every time I read. As you read this today, I just felt like uh, embarrassed that you know there's maybe eternity walking through, learning how deep that went. Because I feel the more I older I get, the less I knew. Mm. Good point, Steve. But that's that's but humility that's what, at work. That's what's so pre like precious about understanding that there's a God who is infinite. Amen. Mm -hmm. Is that you? As at least as I've gotten older, like I'm like, man, there's why should it come to an end Amen. before I, that? I mean, if He really is infinite, mm -hmm. I'm going to be learning something new, some new side of Him, some new you know, principle about mm -hmm. him, know him as healer, now I know him as father, now I know him as the one who sees me, you know, all Amen. of these things is that, like this tells us, people saw him in a new light, mm -hmm. and and so we get to also, mm -hmm. and it changes as we grow, and so it's kind of, there's a lot of freedom, I think, in there realizing. Well, so, excitement too, right? Yeah. Eagerness. Speaking yeah. of excitement, uh, pastor challenges take life in Christ. Well, I've been through the material, 25 years ago and went through and I've read uh, Luther's uh, other stuff and 95 Thesis and all that. But when I went back and started the class again, it was a reminder, it's not what you know, what are you living? And and, and, and I'm starting to practice over there. Yeah, I have it here, but did it sink into your heart where you're actually performing? And I just appreciate Pastor challenging me again. It's it's uh, it, it's fabulous to just go through the root of it. It's boot camp again. Mm -hmm. And I really appreciate that. Well, that's a great point. It goes back to our earlier illustration, Steve. Okay, so I know... In my head, yeah. I should not lie, and I should tell the truth. But am I doing it? Doing it right? I know I'm supposed to treat other people with honor. Am, am I doing it? Those kinds of things. And so again, Megan, the infinite God welcomes us into his presence and says, I'm going to blow your mind, mm -hmm. right? Amen. Well, and there's things that as I've, I, I wouldn't have been able to... Here. Couldn't grasp it. I mean, yeah. I've been like, where was I on that day? You know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? But it's just because God continues. And thank God he reveals himself as we can receive him. Mm -hmm. Thank God he reveals our sin and brokenness as we can come to him for forgiveness. Mm -hmm. If he showed me all my sin right now, mm -hmm. oh. Oh, yeah. I mean, utter despair. Yeah. And that's as somebody I think I can honest, I mean, genuinely say is somebody who's Seeking to walk by faith, seeking to have the Holy Spirit, you know, guiding me and directing me and working in me, and yet still I am no. I know that if the if the Holy Spirit were to say, Jim, let's go through the, let me just show you all your brokenness and sin, it would be overwhelming. But He does that. He reveals to us in increments, just like a newborn babe drinks doesn't drink the whole thing for life all in one sitting, but returns to it over and over and over again. So Tina and then Teresa. Um. So. And maybe I'm getting ahead of it. So he talks about the cornerstone, but then if you go further down, he starts talking about, and the stone builder rejected has become the capstone. Mm -hmm. Am I understanding that they're two different things? It's just the way he's where Peter is quoting from. Capstone, cornerstone, they're, they're both in this context the fundamental stone. Okay, so the beginning, the one and being the, the, what sets the structure, mm -hmm. and then the, and then the end. Ends, the mm -hmm. Okay. I just want to make sure I understood that. Yeah, thank you, Tina. And that's a really important question because here's the thing. The way the story goes, and, and this isn't obviously what Peter includes here, but what people's heads would have gone to is 
you know, when they cleared an area for building, sometimes the boulder was too big to move, right? Now we bring in dynamite and excavators and those kind of things, but sometimes, and so what the, the thing is, is that there was this stone that was in the way and the workers kept tripping over it. And then somebody says, let's make that the cornerstone, you know? And, and so the idea here is Jesus says, I, I am here and I'm the thing that doesn't move. Amen. You'll either stumble over me or the Holy Spirit's going to build you on me and in me. Does that help, Tina? Yes. I was just thinking that, along with the lines of Megan, that that's the difference in Christianity, too, is the Bible is living and active, and it's God's words are alive, and Christianity is the only religion with a resurrected Savior. Uh-huh. And so it, the works are not dead. You're not just going, you know, blowing the dust off of an old book that the work is there and complete and nothing, you know, there's no life in it. Um, and also, no other religion is based on a, a resurrected Savior. They're all, you know, any other of the world's religions, whatever person or being or God they had is dead. Yeah. And mm-hmm. stayed dead. Stayed dead. Um, which then, I'm going to, I want to capstone our discussion here with reading these next few verses from. First Peter chapter 2 because uh, when we talk about again going back to the context of it's not just about me Jesus you know as Peter's talking about Jesus as the cornerstone and the capstone and that we are living stones right we are the living stones and are being built into the spiritual house as a royal priesthood we are I mean one brick on top of another brick is how this thing so we are the bricks in this building but we're surrounded by him at all Yes, and one another. I mean, if, my, if I'm not there, that means there's a gap in the wall. But we are so interconnected, so interlocked with one another because we've all, by the work of the Holy Spirit, been built into this spiritual house together. It's not just me alone by myself. We are, we are together what makes up this temple of living stones. And then he goes on and says, right, he talks about the stone that was rejected but became the cornerstone. He says in verse 8, they stumble because they disobey the message. They don't trust. Right? That's, they don't believe. Which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Live So he's returning back to how he started. Rid yourselves and grow. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. To God be the glory. Amen. Father in heaven, we come before you now in our brokenness, thanking you for your son Jesus Christ, thanking you for his work of salvation, and that you have chosen us to be part of your royal priesthood, and that you have put us together as living stones into the edifice where now we are your temple, where you reside. And Father, that, that beyond what our minds our finite minds can get a hold of. So by your Holy Spirit, work faith within us. And Lord, for each one of us, wherever we are in our faith journeys, 
Whatever it is that you are saying to us right now, rid yourself of that. And like a newborn babe, long for the truth, long for love and grace. Work that in us now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey everyone, don't forget to mark your calendars for March 9th. The annual Grace Lutheran School auction will be held at Grace Lutheran High School. Also, thank you to everyone who came out to State of the Church yesterday. We had a great conversation and we look forward to serving you for the coming year. And thanks to everyone who participated in the Chili Cook-Off. Camp Perkins will surely be blessed by your generosity. Have a great week.